Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. You'd post that you were having parties, these home parties, and you could ask your host, like, do you mind if I post it public? Because people would literally show up because they're looking for certain things. So my host was like, yeah, it's fine. Like, it's, I live in an apartment complex. It's safe. Like, you can post it. It's public. So we had a couple random people that showed up specifically with a list looking for specific prints that they knew they could trade for other prints they wanted online because there was like a whole... LuLaRoe trading environment on oh, wow. Facebook. So be like, I've got the diamonds. I'm looking for Sasquatch. And people are like, I'll trade Sasquatch for diamonds. Even if they didn't want the diamonds because they knew the diamonds were popular enough that they could trade them. Like it was wild. So I, total strangers coming into parties and buying things, not even in their size because they knew the print was popular enough that they could trade it for things they wanted. Like Beanie Babies. Hi survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry, and this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yay, another episode. Another episode. And what a week it has been, right, Tara? Oh, yes. We went to Horror Nights. That was so much fun. It was. We went to Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios here in LA, and it was amazing. Oh, yes. We did The Last of Us. That was one of my favorite mazes. Yeah, The Last of Us, the HBO series. Yeah, I mean, and you know, the Evil Dead one, that was amazing. Yeah, no, and it was funny. I don't know if you realized this, but whenever someone would scare me, I'd just start laughing. Yes, you would. And and full disclosure, like I sometimes left Tara to go in front of me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because Tara's more brave than I am. And you love the zombies, so... Yeah, I feel like you were in good company. Yes, it was funny because you were filming stuff and then I'd be like, where's Call here? Okay, I'm going to run ahead because I I can't be left alone in this room, just me. (laughs) (laughs) It was funny. I mean, they do such an amazing job there, like production-wise. We got the front-of-the-line tickets, which is the only way to go, right? Oh, yes. Getting the front-of-the-line tickets. Because the lines in some of these mazes are like four hours long. Yes. Every year, it just seems to level up and up. And my favorite, like I said, was the Evil Dead maze. Like, that was just, that house was so cool. Yeah, no, and that was, that one was scary. Yeah, it was really scary, and just and then there was the uh, the Exorcist one, and that like fake wall that they had with the with the characters behind it. I can remember, yeah, that would totally freaked me out. They, they, I mean, they just do such a, an amazing job, and even like going through the park and getting scared by the random characters that come through and the chainsaws and all that. It's wild, right? I really feel bad for some people because some people get chased. And then people, because they like to scare you if you get a reaction. That's why I never get chased because I start laughing and I think it's funny that I'm being scared. Is that the, is that the strategy so they don't keep chasing you? Yes, because if you're like running away, then they're like, okay, we're going to lean into this. But there is certain factors that uh, they're trying to do now where like you could stay away from the scare zones and stuff. So you yeah. don't put yourself in that position even yeah but it's so much fun it is a lot of fun and yeah they do have that like where you can kind of like separate yourself i mean somebody did spill margarita on you which was kind of a bummer our only suggestion is universal when you're serving drinks to people 
Make sure they have lids, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, we had an amazing time. And, it was, and they did such a great job. And the tram ride, every year I always say, what did I say last year? I was like, I want to go on the tram ride. And then I'm like, oh, I'm so glad we went on the tram ride. Yes. And we were going to go on it later. And I'm like, let's go on it earlier because we never know if we're going to miss it. Yeah, because it closes early. Yes. Yeah, that's like one of the, the first attractions to close early. But I, we had a great time. And then obviously I'm yawning a little bit because we are knee deep in preparation. Well, we got a couple of things going on. You're doing a retreat in Sedona, which is incredible. Oh, yes. I'm going there in a couple of days and it's going to be a group full of girls. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to do yoga, sound bowl class. And I think it's what I needed after Crime Con and all these things that been happening so I could just yeah. focus on my mental health. Yeah. And help others too. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and then we, next week, I was up all night making our fabulous new shirts that we're going to have for... Obsessed Fest. Obsessed Fest. Yes, we are going to Obsessed Fest in Dallas, uh, October 20th through the 22nd. It's going to be a ton of fun. And we have custom made true crime Ken and Barbie t-shirts. Yes. So it's fitting the brand, you know, since we did the Ken and Barbie outfits at CrimeCon. We did. And now we have our own custom t-shirts, which I'm, I'm super stoked about. And those are getting made. And we're going to have them for sale at the event. We're, they're going to be for sale on our website. It's going to be fabulous. Check out our store. Yes. I'm super excited because it's going to be just a different experience. They've got... It feels like such a great, I mean, True Crime Obsessed fans have been so generous and so nice with us and just really embracing of our podcast and to be there and to be able to interact with them finally. It's it's awesome. I'm, I cannot wait. I'm really excited. And I'm going to be honest. I think being Ken and Barbie has been my dream all my life. That's good. <laughs> and speaking of Obsessed Fest, today's guest is going to be joining us there, right? Yes, it is. It's Roberta Blevins. She's amazing. Yeah, she hosts the Life After MLM podcast. And I, you know, I was excited to interview her because really into the Lula Rich documentary on Amazon, which is how I discovered her. And I feel like she's become one of our good friends now. She's just down the road from us in San Diego. She's super awesome. But uh, let's get into our interview with Roberta Blevins. What do you say? Yes, let's get into it. Thank you. Why don't you start to tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm from San Diego. I am a mom and uh, a podcaster now, former hairstylist. And I was with a company called LuLaRoe, which is a multi-level marketing company or a legal pyramid scheme for people in the know and uh, kind of became one of the whistleblowers, not the only one, there was a, a couple of us, but one of the whistleblowers that helped expose LuLaRoe, helped get them investigated by the Washington Attorney General, and uh, was featured in the Vice documentary, which was like a small news documentary that came out on YouTube, uh, which led to Lula Rich, which was the Amazon documentary that came out in 2021? I think 2021, <laughs> yeah. 
So that's me. And I, I, I'm an anti-MLM advocate, uh, activist, whatever you want to call it. I help uh, people understand the dangers of those companies and other sort of consumer education and awareness. <laughs> okay. And what is Lulu Row for the people that might not know about what they do? Right. So like I said, it's an MLM and what they sold or sell still because they're still in existence is brightly patterned women's clothes. When I started, uh, it was mostly like the, the big thing was leggings and just very brightly colored, fun and modest clothing. Uh, I was founded by a, a Mormon couple. And so all of the garments were intended to be covered. If, if you were wearing garments underneath, everything covered that. So modest clothing, um, some of the stuff was really cute. And as a young mom, I was like, oh yeah, okay, this looks comfy, why not? Uh, it, was, it was a really fun time, but it was not what uh, it, it appeared to be, unfortunately. You seem to be in a much better place right now. Just uh, like you're, you're like you're smiling as if like in the documentary. It just would look, you just it looked, it looked very heavy. It like you yeah. looked like the, all of it was just really. You were still processing it. It seems just judging from what I'm seeing right here. You're, you're to that point where you're like, you're like you're laughing, like you're just yeah. Kind of like yeah, it's the absurdity of it. So that's good to see. I was going through a lot of stuff when I filmed Lula Rich. I was also going through a divorce. And I just oh, moved wow. back in with my mom. So that was fun. And uh, it was COVID. And, and I had been shut down because I was a hairstylist. So there was a lot of stuff, <laughs> a lot on of stuff going on so that I were... was processing. Um, and yeah, I, I think when they came to me and said, you want to do this? I was like, yeah. Like, I just wanted to do as much as I possibly could to bring awareness to what was actually going on uh, and, and the people that were being hurt by this company. And then honestly, when everything with LuLaRoe, when, when after I had filmed it and and I finished uh, with the case, I sort of just focused on MLM in general and not specifically LuLaRoe um, and learned a, lo a lot <laughs> in yeah. education of, of what these companies are and, and what they're disguised as. So uh, I will say, yeah, there's been a lot of healing, a lot of things I've gone through, um, a lot of awakening. In, in many different ways and trying to be better every day and learn and understand big and difficult concepts. Uh, it's, it's, a learning, it's a learning process, but yeah, I, it's, it feels amazing. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. You, you're, you're putting, you're turning your, your sort of passion on its head and using it for good, which is really, really cool. So when did you start at LuLaRoe? I first heard of LuLaRoe at the end of 2015. Okay. And I really decided at the beginning of 2016 that I wanted to join. And I, I joined what they called the queue because there was a lot of people waiting to join because of the popularity. So I think I joined the queue end of January, beginning of February sometime, but I wasn't actually onboarded into LuLaRoe until the end of March of 2016. <laughs> so. It was kind of a process. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I and I and I do remember hearing about the company. I never knew it was an MLM thing. I just remember uh, people selling leggings on Facebook. Yeah, I remember <laughs> and going, yeah. oh, these are mm, these are interesting. They flew off the shelves. They uh, you flew know, off uh, the shelves. Like people were, it was like the hottest thing. And it's like, I couldn't understand it because I would open boxes sometimes, and I'm like squirrel heads, like. 
I'm not even joking when I say squirrel heads. They were like massive squirrel heads with just like these <laughs> giant, like dilated pupils. And I'm like, no one is going to buy these. And they sold out immediately. <laughs> I got involved in Beanie Babies when I was oh, like yes. in high school. Oh. But, the first, like, but the yes. first wave of when they first came out, Beanie Babies, not like the reissues or anything like and yeah. I just remember the frenzy. And I remember seeing it and going, oh, this is like Beanie Baby because you got to collect all the different ones, like all Absolutely. these weird prints. And and it's and I, <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. And I come from the Midwest. I'm from Ohio, uh, as you know. You saw the doc. And I this is something like my friends and their – like they were – this was something that they were into. They were like, oh, my God. You know, <laughs> like I got to yeah, have I it. I absolutely remember that. And I've actually compared the frenzy of people buying leggings like Hand Over Fist to Beanie Babies as well. Because here's the other thing that would happen that's very Beanie Baby-ish is people would show up like you'd post that you were having parties, these home parties, and you could ask your host, like, do you mind if I post it public? Because people would literally show up because they're looking for certain things. So my host was like, yeah, it's fine. Like it's, I live in an apartment complex. It's safe. Like you can post it. It's public. So we had a couple random people that showed up specifically with a list looking for specific prints that they knew they could trade for other prints they wanted online because there was like a whole LuLaRoe trading environment on oh, wow. Facebook. So be like, I've got the diamonds. I'm looking for Sasquatch. And people are like, I'll trade Sasquatch for diamonds, even if they didn't want the diamonds because they knew the diamonds were popular enough that they could trade them. Like it was wild. So I, total strangers coming into parties and buying things, not even in their size because they knew the print was popular enough that they could trade it for things they wanted. Like Beanie Babies. Like it was, I was like, this is, this is wild. Wow. Okay. And then just placing another order, another box of leggings, and just rinse, repeat. Like, I wish I was joking, but that's really, like, what would really happen. What did they sell for? $25. Wow. And so it kind of gets into, like, this addictive cycle. And there is a thing called, like, the unicorn leggings <laughs> or something like that. Yes. Yeah. So a unicorn would be the, the prints that anybody would be hunting for that they knew okay. were highly sought after. So they didn't necessarily have to have unicorns. Unicorns on. But because the term unicorn became so popular and synonymous with like, like in, in LuLaRoe, like a unicorn everything. And then they did this whole, there were prints that had tiny little unicorns, like a hidden Mickey that you'd be like, oh my God, there's tiny unicorns in the back of the print of this unicorn print. Like, Unicorns on unicorns. It was wild. Even Halloween, they did unicorn skeletons. Like it was, it was a whole thing. It was a whole okay. thing. <laughs> I might get like weirdly obsessed about this too. I'm like, oh wait, where do yeah. I find the unicorns in the pants? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like you get them, and then all of it, you get this rush of dopamine, and you're like, oh, I need to do that again. That was fun, and that was really fun because there's like the competitive nature, and then you get the leggings that everybody's fighting over, and then you they show up in the mail, and you get to put them on, you take a picture, and then you get to gloat because all your friends are looking for the same print. And you're like, I have the Sasquatch leggings or whatever was popular at the time. So, so there was you, just so many levels of <laughs> dopamine and like FOMO and addiction. Yeah. Like Beanie Babies, do people like pay overpriced for certain things? Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. And that was the other thing. They were called unicorn hunters. And a lot of times people, the, the consultants would not want unicorn hunters in their group because they're like, look, my group is small. It's curated. It's my local friends. Like, I'm buying this stuff so that these people have a chance to get these 
ridiculous prints. And and these unicorn hunter people would join so many groups. They would go in on multiple devices. They would win all the best stuff, and then they would resell them on eBay. I remember seeing leggings for like two or three hundred dollars, like twenty-five dollar leggings being sold for almost three hundred dollars because they had some sort of highly sought after print. I remember one was just a castle. It looked like a Disney castle and it was before they had the Disney collaboration. Those things were going like crazy. There was one that had storks with like little pink or yeah, pink and blue bows and stuff on them. So people were like, I need that for my baby shower. Like it was people, it was wild. Baby shower. It was, yeah. Tara, noted, get your, get the unicorn leggings for the baby shower. Right, it's just it's like the most ridiculous. <laughs> oh no, it's thing. baby birthday. Sorry, it's a birthday. That's right. Oh, um, I'm like, wait, who's having shower. a baby shower? <laughs> I was like, what? Is, what doesn't? What don't I know? <laughs> I was like, do I need to start preparing like a couple years in advance for like this or something? Okay, I'll start finding them now. <laughs> I bumbled. I bumbled that one. She's got like a like a twin kid. They them. had a baby shower, and then it's like now the kids are out, the kids are having a birthday. I don't know. I'm. <laughs> They're actually in Bonzel. They were. They're in San Diego as well. So. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a twins' birthday party, not a shower. So. Yeah, I, mean, I bumble that up. See, now we're talking <laughs> about something completely different. So, okay, so there was a fever pitch about getting these leggings. You are trying to be a response. What is your title? Like you're the captain. You're the. <laughs> I've been in um, MLM, so yeah. I. I, I way many years ago. <laughs> so LuLaRoe had, let me, you're making me think, um, I think four ranks. So you were a consultant. And then if you had uh, anybody underneath you, you'd be like a leader, just a basic like, oh, I'm a leader, which meant like I had one or two people or whatever underneath you. Once you had at least three directly underneath you, but a total of 10. This is where MLM gets complicated, right? Yeah. Then you become yeah. a trainer, which is what I was. Mm -hmm. uh, to go up to the next level, you have to have three trainers on three separate, they can't like be all on the same pyramid. They have to yeah, be on three yeah. separate pyramids. And then, uh, then you become a coach. And then to hit the highest rank, which is mentor, you had to have three trainers and three coaches. I think there's another rank now, but I don't I don't really follow, so I'm not sure if anybody actually is that. But there always has to be something to aspire look, to. Look toward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What Absolutely. so so they're still doing this even though that that lawsuit settled which would settle for 4.75 million yeah. like nothing. Pennies. Yeah. Nothing. And you said at the end of your tenure you had 75 people in your downline? Yeah. And what did that? Yeah. Well, not that that was the height. So it like it crumbled. I don't remember how many were underneath me when I actually pulled the plug, mm -hmm. but at the height of it there were 75 women. And what does that represent in terms of like financial success? Is that, I believe you guys were getting sales of like them buying inventory and you were getting percentages and then they rug pulled that and they switched it. They were always changing. Right. How you guys got paid, right? That was always. the big red flag right <laughs> yeah keep it complicated yeah but nobody can figure it out nobody can be like this is wrong it's like um, the youtube algorithm or the the, the, the algorithm <laughs> for tiktok like, never figure it out once you think you got it it's different it's like the grocery store too once you have your and then they change everything in the grocery store so what is something like that like represent like an income for oh okay 
So we, when I was in LuLaRoe, we got paid a percentage of what was purchased and not sold. Because really there's no way once I buy the inventory for LuLaRoe at the time, I don't know what it is now, but to accurately see what I was actually selling on the back end. Like once it was sold to me, it was like a done deal. Uh, but there was all these rules that I couldn't follow. But then we had a certain percentage would sort of go down the line. I don't remember what it was. I want to say it was like five. I got like 5% of my first line, which is everyone that I directly had sponsored. Mm-hmm. And then I think I got 3% on the next line and then like 1% down. And then the higher you climb the pyramid, the more lines like you unlock, you get more 1% all the way down. And then there was another thing with certain, when you hit certain ranks, you sort of unlocked what they called this like the leadership pool which was essentially like a percentage of the total sales of the month into this pool that was divided by these quote tickets and you could earn tickets by hitting certain ranks and having people underneath you hurt hit certain ranks and at the height of LuLaRoe one ticket in the pool was roughly somewhere around $600 per ticket so you'd see these people in these really big pyramids they're getting, you know, five, three, one, infinity down because they're at the top and they've unlocked everything. But then they've got, you know, X amount of tickets on themselves because they're a certain rank. And then they've got, you know, 10 people like that, 10 people like that. So maybe they have like 100 tickets. And if 100 tickets are worth $600 each, you could see how very, very quickly those bonus checks just get really, 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 really big. So it's really, really complicated. And and that's just one pyramid scheme. I don't know how all of them work. They're probably pretty similar, but but, you know, a little different. But it sounds like what they do is they just keep it always, you keep you always guessing. Because I'm I'm willing to bet that people didn't get paid that kind of money. Or some people did enough to motivate others and then others got the shaft. Yeah. I had this video of a convention type meeting that I was at and at the time I didn't realize that what they were doing is highly illegal. I thought it was inspirational and boss baby. So I like, I filmed it on my phone or my iPad or something and it was all these top leaders at LuLaRoe in the time and they were standing up and they were telling what their bonus check was like a year ago and then what it is today. And this was again at the height when everything was exploding and people were making a ton of money and they were like, you know, a year ago, my bonus check was $2,000 or whatever, but now it's $158,000 in a month. I mean, they were ra- they were really bringing in those kind of numbers for the really, really high, the top people. Because the buy-in for LuLaRoe, everybody had to spend at least a minimum of $5,000 to join. Oh, wow. And then you're buying a box, at least if you can. And this is where the money starts really coming in, right? Because we're the true customer. You're buying a box at least a week. Because if you're not buying it a week because they're coming out with new prints every day, you're missing out on the good prints. So you're going to have to buy a box at least a week. But you can't buy anything under 30 pieces. So you have to buy 30 leggings. But leggings come in a two-pack. So you're actually buying 60 leggings, which is closer to $500. So you're spending minimum $500 a week. And some people were buying boxes every day and multiple boxes a day. 
and selling just hand over fist and then investing everything back. So they're never profiting anything. It's just this big churn of just buying more inventory because everybody knows there's going to be some duds. And the duds were basically the freebies to get more people to come into your groups to give free stuff or, oh, buy 10 items and I'll throw in a free thing in your size. That's where all those ugly duds were going. And then okay. you're buying another box and you're churn and burn and churn and burn. And that's what the quote top leaders were doing. And that's what they were educating everybody else to do as well. And so people are doing that even to the detriment of their own family. I know people that didn't pay their mortgage and lost their house. I know people that got divorces over that kind of stuff. I know people that had other people's babies because they were like hooking up at convention and on cruises and things. And it was all a big hush hush. I mean, there was a lot of really, really wild things that were happening that people were completely ignoring it was just they still ignore it but it's just it uh, it's a lot and didn't people have to pay money to go to these cruises that were like a certain level and stuff so they would give you the, the room for free so you just you get a basic cruise room whatever that cost is you know okay but if you don't live wherever the port is, then you ha you're the one that's going to have to get yourself to port. Usually cruises leave pretty early, so you have to get them the night before. You have to Uber in because you don't have a car. So there's a lot of costs that were incurred. I think my free cruise cost me close to $3,000 when it was like my plane tickets to get to Florida, my Uber, the hotel the night before. Um, we upgraded like our drink and food packages and things like that. So... You know, I mean, those were my choices, obviously, but getting to the port cost me at least at least fifteen hundred dollars just to get wow. to the cruise, you know. And the other thing is they put that cruise on your taxes as an earned income. So you pay taxes on it, just like a car on the prices right or something. And they don't no one ever lets you know that until you pay your taxes and you're like, whoa, what the heck? So that was that's always a fun surprise for people that don't prepare for it. Wow. It's wild. And then it gets to this point, too, where you're getting moldy clothes and clothes that is like holes in it, <laughs> clothes that are sun damage. Well, Tell hold, me about. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just want to, I want to get into that, but can we, like, let's maybe, so everything is good, right? Everybody's yeah, making money. I mean, I was. I don't know how much my team was making, but I was making money. Then where did it start to go wrong? Like Sarah was saying, the moldy and all that. Hey, movers. Well, summer has officially set. <laughs> and as we move into the fall and the upcoming holiday period, I know all of the hustle and bustle can create a lot of problems with our sleep. And that's why I want to tell you guys about a product that I've been using from Next Evo Naturals, and that is their premium CBD nighttime formula. Now, I'll tell you, sleep is a very precious commodity to me. I've been doing a lot of traveling and, you know, getting my my perfect amount of rest every night has been something that has been eluding me until I discovered Next Evo Naturals premium CBD nighttime formula. I'm telling you, I have never felt this refreshed in my life. I'm telling you, it has been amazing for my quality of sleep. I wake up refreshed and I get ready to greet the day with a smile. Go, go, go energy all day. Upgrade to better natural solutions from Nextevo Naturals. Go to nextevo.com and use promo code MPT to get 25% off. That's 25% off at nextevo.com, promo code MPT.
So, yeah, I mean, I think the moldy clothes, well, no, that's not true. I mean, there were so many little red flags that looking back, you know, we, we joke in the survivor community that you're wearing rose-colored glasses so the flags look like flags and you don't notice them and then you look back and you're like, wow, like they were all glaringly obvious. And there were little things that were said to me or like attitudes or certain like things that were all red flags that I just ignored. And I sort of absorbed and, and got that whole superiority complex as well. Like, well, I'm a leader. I have a watch. Do you not see my watch? Like, not that I would say that, but it was that sort of like ego, which I'd never really experienced before, which kind of scared me too. And it was just, I didn't, it's just like, um, I didn't recognize myself and I ignored a lot of that. And I think looking back now, one of the very first red flags was when I started climbing the ranks and I was really successful and I was, my uh, my now ex-husband was very, um, he just was like, this is like, whatever, like this is ridiculous. Um, you know, in hindsight he was right, it was, but I was making money and I was getting a bonus check and I was doing all the things and in terms of being a boss babe, like I was killing it and he just didn't like any of it. And so I, I didn't want to like exclude him. I wanted to include him and I wanted to find ways that we could like work the business together or something ridiculous, you know, and, and, and sort of calm that, that rift. And I, I went to the CEO of LuLaRoe at this convention, at this event. And I, I said this to her and she told me like very like nonchalant, like, oh, you should probably just find a new husband. Like as if it was so much easier to just find someone who was already like, Really, and they would joke about like a LuLaRoe husband, you need a LuLaRoe husband, or like single guys, you need a LuLaRoe wife, things like that. Like, because that's the only kind of person that would really understand what you're going through and what you need and like what you have to sacrifice for the greater good. And I just was like, I remember thinking like, you would, you're right, it would be easier because there's no way I'm gonna convince him to be completely okay with this. Um, there was a couple times where like, they really wanted me to bring him so that he could sort of experience it. And he did go and he did get the dopamine and he was into it for a bit. And he was like, yeah, let's buy more, put it on the credit card, let's sell it. And we did and we sold it. And so there was no backlash. I mean, financially, it wasn't horrible for me because I was running it more like a business as I had understood as a hairstylist. Um, and, and so getting moldy product and stuff was another red flag. And I think that was more of a sticking red flag because for me, I was like a real business <laughs> wouldn't tell me to like wash them and resell them in the salon yeah. if something doesn't work they go over to make it better and give give free product and replace it and this here you go and it was like fighting back and forth and i was like a, a real company would fix this like why am i fighting with you why am i still getting the email back like i tell you they're stinky and you're like well prove it I'm like i don't know how to prove they're stinky well take a picture of them and i was like that's not this, why aren't you just giving me a refund? It was just this sort of like, I felt like I was crazy. I was like, what is going on? Just refund, they're $12.50, just refund me the money or just send me new pants. Like, I don't even care at this point. I just can't sell these and I'm not taking a hit on them. Um, and I ended up keeping them and then used, they were used as evidence later because there was the wet ones, there was moldy ones, they had mildew stains, they had sunspots on them. There was dead bugs in some of the packages that had been in there. Um, I found out later, 
because in the documentary I call them dead fart leggings but I've also called them like like a dead rat pool party or like poop in a wet bathing suit and like all these gross because they were just rancid and um someone actually reached out and said well you're not too far off on the dead rat because it was my job at LuLaRoe to go out in the morning and clean out the Gaylords, which are those big metal cages that they would put all the stuff in. They throw a tarp on them to keep them dry, you know, in California, that works so well. Uh, and they, these people, like possums and rats and mice and different animals would crawl into these Gaylords to keep warm at night and get stuck and die. And so they'd have to go out and pull all the dead animals out. And, and they're like, oh yeah, we would just take the leggings that they were like touching and we just throw those ones out. I was like, what is happening here? <laughs> like, is this for real? Is this really how this business is being run? Things being stored outside in the rain, in the mildewy, like dewy mornings of Cal Southern California. I, I mean, looking back on it now and seeing the facts and the truth of everything, it's just, it infuriates me that I even put any effort or like put my name behind it at all. Do you know? Yeah. It's like the very obviously a scam when I step back and I'm like, oh, look it. I can see everything very clearly that this is not really a business. I didn't even understand the cult aspect of it until after I left and I was watching um, Aftermath on A&E uh, with Mike and Leah. Okay. And I was like, oh my God, I'm in a cult. Because they ha there was an I had an example for like everything they were talking about. And that's when I started researching it and going, Okay, so it's like there was, <laughs> there was like no one, one straw. It was just, I just remembered everything. It was that seed. And I feel like every time something came, it just sort of like fertilized and watered that seed a little bit more. And I just allowed it to grow. And I just asked more questions. And that was the thing. It was like asking questions was not uh, what they wanted me to do. And <laughs> I just, I just kept asking more questions. Well, whenever you ask anyone toxic questions or a toxic business or anything questions, they don't want to answer them because then you start to gain awareness. Right. And I thought it was interesting that Lulu Rowe even had rules for you guys. Yeah. And so that, I mean, that comes down to the MLM aspect of it. Because these companies are technically pyramid schemes that are protected by the government. They have a very specific set of rules they have to follow in order to be legal and in compliance. And so those rules are set in place to keep them legal. Um, and it, it just dictates a lot of things. Like, you know, a lot of people in an MLM will say it's their own business. And I understand what they say when they, what they, what they think they mean when they say that because they feel like I'm taking the money, I'm paying the taxes, this is my business. But you're really a contractor and you're just taking the money as opposed to getting the money from like the person that sort of contracted you. Um, so you don't really have control over anything. You don't have control over the fabric. You don't have control over the prints or anything that you would want. You don't have control over uh, quality control. <laughs> you don't have control over pricing or the names of things or what you can and can't sell, which, whether or not you can put it on sale, when you can put it on sale. We had rules for everything. We even had to use like a specific font and color scheme. I don't know if that's still the case, but I remember back in the, in the beginning, if you were gonna make any graphics to share, you either had to use the approved graphics they had already made for you in like a Dropbox folder, or you had to make them, send them in, get them approved, have them come back. 
I remember one of my downlines didn't like all the bright colors. So she did like a grayscale version and um, she didn't get in trouble technically, but some people saw it and every time people saw it, they made a comment like, I don't think you're supposed to do that. And so it's just, it, it's, it, there's this nature of like policing each other and tattling on each other that's like very juvenile and very like, make sure you run and tell an adult and very culty. Um, and you just, if you own your own business, it's just not like that. <laughs> it's just not. So, uh, yeah. So you just, so you just touched upon something earlier. So you weren't, so you couldn't just go to a catalog and say, I want 20 of the Santa Claus st leggings. No. You just got a box full of random. Yeah. Like a lottery, like, like a surprise egg on YouTube. Like it just, you basically, <laughs> you could order styles and sizes. So you could be like, I want four of this shirt in a large and I want three of this specific dress in a medium and 10 pairs of leggings. And then they'd just be like, here's 10 pairs of leggings, Swedish chef, and then pack it up and send it down the line. So you could sometimes, and that's why people would order multiple boxes. Because one day you might get 20 of the same thing because it's coming off the line. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever. And people open, they're like, this is all the same. Like, I can't believe I just spent $500 and it's three pairs of leggings over and over and over again. Happened a lot. And so to stop that, Lula Rose suggested, well, what if you did, you broke it up. You're going to have to buy shirts anyway. So why don't you make the order on Monday like half shirts and half leggings and then the order on Wednesdays, the other half your shirts and the other half your leggings. And because they're two separate days, you're gonna get a much bigger variety. So now you're buying two boxes a, a, a week, right? Uh, which again, like the cheapest you could get out of a box is probably like four or $500. So you're spending almost nearly $1,000 a week on the hopes that you get a couple pairs of leggings that bring a bunch of people in so that your sale goes viral and you totally sell out and you prove everybody wrong because this is definitely not a pyramid scheme and I'm doing great. And that's like how you feel every single day. It was terrible. It was just, it's just anxiety like all day. Like <laughs> your face. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> that's what I was laughing at. Was you're, are you laughing at my face? <laughs> yeah, you're just like. You're just <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine all of it because it this is what i'm thinking because honestly it just it's it's absolute power corrupts absolutely it's a really good concept right. if they had just had done right by everyone everyone would have been happy and everyone would have made money and it would have been a fantastic situation and like they would have, he would have gone on to buy his swedish car club or whatever oh, penis car he had to buy i saw on the he has thing two of them i'm sure or whatever <laughs> it's just ridiculous and they could have done whatever and then it's just, it's just all such a waste it's just yeah. it's they've created this chaos and they've created this cult yeah <sighs> well i think because it's easier to sell a million leggings to like a hundred thousand hardcore oh my god i love lula i'll do anything for it fans than to sell a million leggings to the consumers that are like the clown pants really you know what i mean so it's like it's that cult aspect of like absolute loyalty LuLaRoe saved my life don't you dare talk bad about Mark and Deanne uh, they saved my life keeps you on the hook 
so of being they marketed, like, that so their next market was box really is you going to be the one. What if that next box? It's like sitting in a slot machine and being like, I can't get up. This machine's about to hit. Yeah. It's the sunk cost fallacy. And gambling only has a 95% loss rate, where MLM has 99.7% loss rate. Oh, wow. That's really the stats. <laughs> okay, yeah. so. Yeah. Actual okay. pyramid schemes, 91%, I think. Or 90%, 90.7. You have like a 9% better chance being in an actual pyramid scheme than an MLM. Is that, so you said you're an advocate, is that true for all MLMs, whether you're say, selling, you know, discounted long distance or, well, not anymore, but that was my experience. <laughs> I, did, I joined Excel like 20 some oh, years ago or whatever. The calling cards. No, I was, so, uh, so I, so <laughs> it, was, it was discounted long distance through Excel. It was, this okay. was 1997, I was in college. And that led me into um, another thing that I invested in. So, it, that, but that ended up being a Ponzi scheme. But it <laughs> actually worked. But it actually worked in my favor because I'm the, one of the only people that has ever been involved in a Ponzi scheme that got their money back. Because I oh. realized after about a year, when I got into calling cards, because the same people got me into calling cards, which I we did sold. eventually get to calling cards. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it wasn't. A, but it wasn't a pyramid scheme. It was actually like a legitimate thing. I had a switch in New York City and Battery Park and the whole thing. I made, I made calling cards. There was no MLM or downline or anything. I sold custom calling cards to oh. businesses. This is before I got moved to California, and but I got involved in a Ponzi scheme that was like a that I invested some of the MLM money in. And then I went broke, but not from the MLM, but just I invested in this thing. They were like, oh, we're getting funding. And then it ended up, I said, no, this is a Ponzi scheme. And I got my money out. And I told everybody, get your money out. And they were like, no, it's happening. No, they're making money. And all those guys went to jail like 15 years later. Interesting. They defrauded the people out of bind. millions of dollars. And they were just like, I kept, I'm like, why are you broke? And you're, oh, we're raising money. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. Are you living off that money? The, the investment capital? Currently, currently. And I was like, and I'm like, isn't that illegal? I was like 20. And I'm like, but isn't that illegal? And I, and I called up a friend and I said, is this? And they go, oh, yeah, that's, that's called a Ponzi scheme. Do you know what a Ponzi scheme is? And I was like, no, but I do now. <laughs> and I wrote them a letter. I said, I'm sending this to the SEC tomorrow if you don't give me my money. And they, they overnighted me a cashier's check. Wow. <laughs> wow. Didn't even Thank send me you. a non-disclosure, which was the wildest thing. <laughs> I was like, you're giving me my money back and my interest and... And that's how I moved to California. But um, it is like scams are the ties that bind. It's really funny. I was I was out hiking. I did a couple of days out on the PCT because I'm wild like that and meeting hikers out there and them asking me what I do. And I'm like, oh, I, I have a podcast, you know, I'm like, oh, what's it about? And you never know when you're out in the middle, like who is going to be in an MLM. So I try to be like, like, oh, I talk about like scams and frauds and like pyramid schemes and they're like I was in a pyramid scheme one time I used to sell and I was like everybody <laughs> it doesn't matter where you are there's always somebody that's like oh, I have a story to tell you and we sit around like campfires and tell telling stories about our pyramid scheme days I think it's also like you're in Southern California I think this is like a haven for it I think yeah. it really is Texas California I feel like these are the two states Utah I know yeah Utah I know in New York New York they don't play around like that's that's not a thing there. No, oh. no, no, no. They, New York's Attorney General is really strict. I, th I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Roberta, but I think um, I'm not New York sure State so much about really New York. 
New York and New Jersey have like really stringent laws against these things. I, I, I believe okay. Montana. It's either Montana or one of the Dakotas. It's like a no MLM. You're not even allowed. Don't even come across the border kind of thing with wow. a few companies. Like there are some states that are like, we're not playing. But for the most part, it's like it's so woven into American democracy and like since like the 1979 like early 1970s and then officially legal in 1979 and then reagan just sort of took it and run with it okay so <laughs> that's when it got really like really mixed up with yeah, everything okay is rodian and fields one yep. okay yeah. then i've been a part of one also <laughs> see all of us everybody's got a story i always tell people it's like true crime you know, as devastating as true crime is, it's you don't always have like a necessary personal connection. Sometimes it's like I know somebody or that happened in my town. Yeah. But with like true con, especially like scams, it's like that happened to me. That happened to me. That happened to me, too. I fell for 10 of them. And it's like a really like it's very, very, very close. And I think a lot of people can relate to it. And that's why it's become so popular recently is because people are like, oh, me too. Like, yeah, I got scammed. Like I fell trapped to those knives too, or those whatever, whatever <laughs> those it is. Knives. The soap, you know, <laughs> I joined Amway. So many people are like, I was an Amway. And I'm like, I'm not surprised that you were an Amway. It's wild, isn't it? Yeah. It's a it's and a weird then, strange thing that like was but you most were people. now you were in other MLMs though before Lularoe right yeah I was in one called It Works very briefly like three months I was like okay. this is super scammy and embarrassing and I don't want to do this anymore and then like a year later I joined Lularoe because it looked totally different which is intentional with MLMs they want it to look different so that you're like this is nothing like my last one and you join again out of one frying pan and into another and then I accidentally. <laughs> Which is a story I hear so many times with people are like, oh yeah, no, I that's how I joined that MLM too. Is I accidentally joined because there was like a trial pack, like try our best products. And this woman had tried to, she recruited me. She was in LuLaRoe and she was like, you got to try it. It's only $40 to get this trial pack. It's really great. You got to try it. Everything's going to. And so I, I bought into it and that was me. Sometimes that happens that, that a customer and like a seller's account looks exactly the same except for like one small thing. And essentially I signed up to be uh, a rep instead of a customer with this specific kit, uh, I guess. And when, so when it came to my house and I got the letter that was like, welcome to the family, I, I ended up selling, I tried a couple things and was like, we're not doing this again. And I sold all the unopened stuff on eBay and made my money back. That's great though. This sounds like the beach body stuff. It was Modere, so you're not too far okay. off. Modere is like, like the Beachbody spoon. Was Beachbody a scam? Was Beachbody yeah. like that? Yeah. That was an MLM? Yeah. I did a commercial for them years no. ago as an actor. <laughs> as an actor. I did. Yeah, I didn't know it was an MLM. Yeah. They're called Body now. In fact, um, apparently they're like on the Spotify ads because a couple of my listeners are like, there was a Beachbody ad on your podcast today. And I'm like, no, I have to email my network. <laughs> Like, we can't have this one on there. You can, jump, you can jump in on SPN and do that. You can maybe I have to go select. in there and fix it. Are you on Megaphone? I thought I did. Yeah. I thought I did. Oh, I thought I checked them off. But yeah. yeah. Oh, well. I'll have to fix it. No, I was like, if they want to pay me a couple, couple dollars, that's fine. We'll, we'll nix them pretty soon. 
<laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm like, you're really advertising to the wrong crowd here, body. What? What is... Yeah, I know. They don't do the research, right? Well, those SPN ads are all over the... Span ads are all over the place. Um, what? Okay, so... So many questions. How do... So, for those of you... For those of you... For those who didn't see the you? documentary... Like, what, what are you so doing? How did all this happen? So, you got out... And what was it like? The ba- you're saying it's a cult. Like, what? It, what about it made it a cult? Was there backlash? Oh yeah. Was there just like did people come after you? What happened? Yeah. Did you lose that. your friends? I did. I did. It was. I mean, it wasn't like coming after the way that like Mike Rinder had like secret cameras and bird houses across the street from his house and like people paying off my trash guy. It wasn't yeah. like that. It was like having a conversation and being like, I just don't think this is going to work for me anymore. And like crying, being really vulnerable and feeling that I had connected and then um, deciding to quit and it being like, I can't believe you would do this to me. And I was like, it's not, it's not about that. Like I need to do this for me and my family, you know? Um, And that's just part of MLM. You know, they, they, the people in the MLM take it personally because this MLM, this company is their life. You know, it saved them. It's everything. It's their everything the way that like religion or, or something is. It's like everything they believe in. And me saying I don't want to do it anymore feels personal to them. And it wasn't. It's not personal at all. It just didn't work for me. And I really thought that I had fostered some really good relationships and, and had really deep, meaningful conversations and had connected with people and you know, I'm such a people person and that was one of the main reasons that I had joined. And so I remember talking to, to a lot of people saying, I don't want to lose you as a friend. And them saying, you're not going to lose me as a friend. Like, that'd be so silly. And then, yeah, like the next day being blocked by everybody um, or getting like harassing phone calls and texts. And if I wouldn't answer, you know, like, oh, it makes me so sad when you ignore me and things like that. And I just, I just wanted to be left alone and my boundaries were being pushed and I I needed to sort things out and I really wasn't sure what was going on and all of that I mean that behavior really pushed me into taking like a week off and in taking that time off that's when I saw the the Scientology show and that's when I connected because I finally had time to listen without anybody in my ear and I think maybe had people not been so mean and like excommunicated me then I might not have like gone nearly so far with all of the stuff that I did, but it felt like every time I got to a certain point, like somebody had something mean to say or, you know, and I just, it just lit that fire underneath me again. I was like, okay, I'll just show you again then, I guess. Um, and at the time, MLMs were starting to become kind of semi-popular in this like niche and it's like 2017 and, and people had been talking about it. And I think the betting on zero documentary had come out and the John Oliver uh, episode about MLMs had just recently come out. And so it was getting really popular. And one of the things I think that comes along with being in an MLM and then leaving and, and sort of coming to terms with everything that you did and said and <laughs> the way you acted, it, there's a lot of shame and a lot of people don't want to come clean and say, yeah, I did those cringy things. Um, And this is why uh, a lot of people just want to pack it and throw it in a closet and not look at it again. And I was one of the people that was like, yeah, I'll talk to you. And so when media came looking to say, hey, are you interested in telling your story? I was like, yeah, sure. okay, I'll talk to you. And uh, I think Bloomberg News was one of the first that came around. We had been working with like Business Insider and things like that, um, but not like a story about me. So when when 
Bloomberg came around, I was like, yeah, you know, sure, I'll do it. And I did it with a couple friends and we did this this great story and they came out and took photos and that sort of jump-started the Vice documentary. Vice comes to me and says, hey, we saw this article and the things that you're doing. And again, I'm, I'm working on investigating and, and just educating in the background, helping people with class action lawsuits, getting them connected with the right advocate to talk to within the LuLaRoe sphere, because I really didn't know too much about anti-MLM, except that it was bad. But I wasn't as focused on that as I was with helping the victims of LuLaRoe. Uh, the Vice documentary comes out and that sort of like cemented like, oh my gosh, like, you know, something like a, a younger publication is picking up on this. And a lot of people started to recognize me within like the anti-MLM community. Oh, you're from the Vice documentary. Um, and I started doing podcast interviews with smaller like anti-MLM podcasts or scam podcasts. And then that it just snowballed. It just kept snowballing. And I just kept saying like, if somebody wants to talk to me, I'm going to talk to them because I feel really passionate about this. And especially if they're outside my niche, especially if it's like a news organization or a true crime or a fraud or something that is not me preaching to the choir over and over and over again, because, you know, there's so many connections uh, within this that connect to so many things. And so I, I was like, yeah, I, I'll talk to you. And that just like led to and Lula Rich coming and they were like hey we loved the Vice documentary and we want to expand on that would you be willing to help us and I was also doing my deposition for the lawsuit at the same time that was in late 2020 um, and I said yeah let's do this and we filmed we filmed it I think in like November it was right after the election we filmed it and then 2021 February comes around it's the lawsuit they settle 4.75 million, uh, 4 million goes to the victims in Washington for restitution. They didn't get a ton of money. It was probably around $1,100 each, which is only roughly 20% of their initial investment. So not nothing, but also like in terms of like what people actually invested, it's peanuts. Um, and I just, once all that was done, I was like, what am I going to do now? And uh, I decided to start my podcast. It was February. It was my first Valentine's Day alone as a single person without a job or any, any prospects in life. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell my story uh, before the documentary comes out, before any of this, um, reintroduce myself back into the, into the community um, as somebody who's, who's finally showing my face and, and finally talking and not just sharing memes and helping people connect to the right people. And, uh, I'm on my third year now, and great. I've met really cool people like you guys and been on so many amazing shows. I've got to meet my mentors and like it's it really is just this like survivor thing. Like I just I <laughs> refuse to stop. I refuse to let them win. This concludes part one of our two part episode with Roberta Blevins. Can't wait for part two. Please subscribe to the Survivor Squad Patreon to receive exclusive early access to all episodes. On that note, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad Podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.